podcast and play to buddy. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter. Today, Richard and I are going to a roundup, clean up most of the head coaching news that has occurred in the past week. We will also speculate on the handful of jobs that are still open. We're going to get this bad boy up and out to you as soon as possible because the news is ever evolving. It's been a very strange week of late night phone calls and confused people, confused reporters, confused coaches, confused agents. Everyone is very confused, but Sam Pittman is the Arkansas head coach now, and uh, I like it. I'm cool with it. It's very good. Uh, This weekend, myself, Richard, and various other mongrels from the Banner Society will be at the Army-Navy game. So if you're going to go to the Army-Navy game, hit us up. You can find us on social, at Banner Society. We will be out and about doing various stuff before Army-Navy uh, I know we're going to hit the big radio event. Uh, USAA sponsors a thing. We'll be around. We'll be all over Philadelphia. Um, please come say hi. Please let us know if you're going to be there. Uh, also, please sign up for the Read Option, our wonderful newsletter that's gaining a ton of followers. And without further ado, let's do some coaching news, roundup, gossip, speculation. Remember, I believe, I feel, and I know that this is PAPN. Richard Johnson, you're about to be a very busy man. I'm about to have a little bit of the, uh, as the youth say, FOMO. I don't think youth say FOMO, but um, normally I'm in New York. I'm working on something else. You and I will see each other at Army-Navy this weekend, but tell uh, tell everybody a little bit about, obviously everyone knows the Heisman's in New York City this week, but it, that's probably the smallest event that happens for people like us. Yeah, I'm already hungover thinking about this week. Uh, this is yeah. the National Football Foundation uh, week. There is a ritzy gala that is tonight. Uh, this is December 10th, Tuesday. Um, and there are different awards throughout the week. Um, there is also a, a Learfield. Learfield IMG basically own the radio rights to your school, whether you know it or not, um, the radio broadcast rights. And they have a big symposium, conference, whatever you want to call it, um, in the city during this week as well. So, I mean, it's it's movers and shakers. People, this is the one time where New York City really truly is the epicenter of the college football universe. Uh, most of the jobs, most of the big time jobs are taken already or filled already. But in a normal year, there will be interviews done here in New York City um, where a, a, a level of plausible deniability can be offered um, there. I, I don't have the Hall of Fame class pulled up on me uh, right now, and I probably should be at the media availability, but I am talking to you, dear Godfrey. Um, You're doing your job, baby. Right. So, uh, yeah, the awards gala is tonight, and that means that gives you as an AD, if you have a guy being inducted, then you're here. Um, I, I had sent Godfrey the list like last week, um, a truncated list of who was getting inducted, and he was very, very jealous. Well, I mean, I'm not jealous of the, the headache that involves the week, and it, we're very, very busy this time of year, but... Uh, a lot of people ask, like, how do you do the job that we do? And a lot of it is in-person schmoozing and shaking hands and being in the right place at the right time. And there's all these little corners and events and sidebars and, hey, let's go get a drink here. Things that are happening in New York City this week. And it's very common. It's like it's um, it's people from the people from the NCAA are here. Uh, like yep. the list, just some of the inductees into the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame Um Players from Arkansas, USC, Michigan State, uh, Ole Miss, and Florida State. Now, obviously, those jobs are full, but if those jobs weren't filled, they could be interviews um, held this week in the city. 
Um, and speaking of which, silky smooth transition into the jobs that have been filled. I do believe that this week will be a little bit calmer in New York City because the dominoes fell into place last week with Florida State and the three SEC jobs coming into this week. So now we are kind of cleaning up. I wouldn't say the scraps. There's still some interesting stuff going on. And again, I'm just going to warn everybody, Richard. Uh, in fact, tell me what happened at Stanford that you noticed. Uh, a thing that happened at Stanford is eight players in the transfer portal within a week, all of them grad transfers, some of them defensive linemen. Now, uh, part of that could be they either couldn't or didn't want to go to grad school at Stanford and wanted to continue their careers otherwise. Um, the other thing is we talked about months ago that this may be the end for uh, David Shaw, not because he gets fired, but because he decides that this is the year that he goes to the NFL. So that is something that rings in my head when I see mm-hmm. something like this. I don't know. I'm not reporting. I'm just saying, hmm. I know. I feel. I believe. Therapy words, good, baby. Good are good therapy words. Uh, yeah. So the reason I bring that up, obviously, is that the NFL still has three or four whatever weeks. I don't know. The Falcons suck uh, left and there will be openings. Uh, there will be, I think, at minimum every year, there are five openings in the NFL on average. I would say, Richard, do you feel comfortable saying out of those five that at least one might come from college? Yes, because Matt Ruler, Lincoln Riley will be the next coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> You wish. All right, let's get on with it. Uh, We're going to run through the ones that have already closed, give you a little insight and perspective on those, and we'll get to the speculation and the reporting in a second. So let's start with South Florida. Clemson and co-OC Jeff Scott. He was making about a million a year as a co-OC at Clemson. He is an Arcadia, Florida native, and now he is the head coach at South Florida. He's a first-time head coach. Uh, It's a five-year deal per our friend Brett McMurphy over at Stadium. Uh, we know of a lot of people that poked around this job and had interest. Richard, you mentioned Larry Scott. Larry Scott's been associated with this job before. Um, what do you think about this one? Because I don't think this is the job it, it, that everyone else does. And I think it's really hard. And I think it's not nearly what people think it is. It's not the best job in that corridor of the state. Um, it, he needs to be backed. He needs to be backed by USF's brass. He needs to be backed by USF's fundraisers. He needs to be backed by better USF facilities um, to have any of that going to happen to have a chance at success. I think that Mike. So Michael Kelly handled this coaching search in kind of the stealthy ninja Greg Burnish kind of way. Um, Not many leaks. Now, that could be because it's a group of five job, but it's a group of five job in a metro market. I mean, it's it's not like it's in the middle of nowhere here. It's in Tampa. Um, There is interest in this program. So, yeah, new AD Mike, well, not new, but whatever, you get it. AD Michael Kelly, um, the way he handled this search makes me think that he will back whoever this coach is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. We will see. We will see. Um, I, I it, It's really nothing about Jeff Scott. I just, this is a really, really hard job. And, and the I don't, expectations. I, let's, Go ahead. when we say it's, it's, Really, really hard. What what I think is USF. Well, it's not Kansas. It's not Kansas football. But what I mean is <laughs> is expectation relative to the, uh, the the ability to meet it. And I don't know. Never if the, wanna, I think those things are are separating. Never won a division. Never won a division. Never won a conference title. That's that's what USF is. Um, right, but I, I, before we move on, real quick, I think USF is in a spot where um, I, I I don't know. I want to believe that this can work because I really think a vibrant USF would be so great for the American Athletic Conference and and that rivalry and and to give UCF something in the state right next door 
um, that they have to deal with. And right now, USF is not in a position where UCF is is worried. Um, and, and what can Jeff Scott do to close that gap? All right, another uh, first-time head coach, now former Penn State offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie. Uh, the details are to be announced right now. I haven't seen anything, but uh, he's going to Old Dominion. He spent nine years with James Franklin. I think when I first met him, he was QB's coach or maybe tight ends coach at Vanderbilt. Um, they met when he was on staff at K-State with Franklin back in the um, uh, Ron Prince era, actually. How crazy is that? Wow. He became the play caller, really took on – a great slash unenviable job in following up Joe Moorhead as a play caller at Penn State in the 2017 Fiesta Bowl. Um, I think he's, he's done a serviceable job. He's just not Joe Moorhead, and I think this is the right time for him to do this, to jump over, to take a job that we we kind of pegged early on as a really promising job with a ton of potential. But I think uh, we, we can talk about Ronnie at a later date. Like I said, I've known him and I've been around him for a couple of years, but I'm just more interested in the people who didn't get this job. Like number one, Shane Beamer. Number two, the fact that a, min- a desire to hire a minority coach was strongly voiced around this job. It didn't. It didn't work out. Um, that's that's as interesting to me as the Beamer thing. So I wonder if they, Shane. I want. I and I'm guessing here. I wonder if Shane's like maybe I stick around with Lincoln for a little bit. Like does Shane Beamer have to jump? No, no. I mean, we'll talk about that with Dave Aranda in a second. I mean, when you're in a good situation, you're in a good situation. And I mean, Oklahoma shows no signs of slowing. The Big 12, save for, you know, an uh, uh, overachieving year from Baylor has not shown really any signs of catching them. So, yeah, stick around. Shane, I'm just saying you will love Jacksonville, buddy. Wow. Still going on that. Okay. Um, Let's go to the SEC. Um, It's probably best to talk about these three as a group. Um, so we'll do that (laughs) as a block. We'll do do that real fast. Uh, it's been a strange time. And then also this kind of leads us into the Florida state conversation as well. So, so you had Florida state, you had Arkansas, you had Missouri and you had Ole Miss. Um, last week it was a a debate between how many places could Mike Norvell show interest in, uh, as he was going into conference championship week with Memphis, we talked about it on the show. We felt like what would happen, uh, what happened would happen. So, I mean, it wasn't really a secret. Norvell had kind of kept everybody's interest up to a point. So at the same time, here's what I can tell you about Ole Miss. They entered the week after firing Matt Luke with an interest, a heavy, probably number one guy on the board interest in Mike Norvell. They felt like it was a possibility. They knew Florida State was involved. They talked with Norvell. It wasn't, I mean, let's just, y'all, let's dispense with what constitutes an interview because you know how that goes, all right? It's interviews and offers are the most misused verbs in coaching search season. There was contact and communication with Norvell early last week. Then following that, there was a groundswell of support and in support for Lane Kiffin, interest in Lane Kiffin came later, but a campaign by Lane Kiffin, who at the same time felt like he had hit an impasse with support, universal support at Arkansas. I don't know. People are going to ask, had everything been receptive and everything been copacetic in Fayetteville, would Lane Kiffin be the coach of the Hogs right now? I don't know right now. That's the truth. I know this. Lane Kiffin reached out aggressively to Ole Miss, had a ton of interest in the job, and then Ole Miss initially was hesitant in terms of the official decision makers, and then the campaign started from pretty much every angle, and by the time you knew it, the deal was done. Thursday. My question is, my, I, I, where did this come from? Like I don't, and and it's it's not even anything to do with can Lane coach or can he not? I I just yeah. Where where did this come from? I I did not see this one happen. Which part? Why? The, Which part? I mean, I. I, I don't think I saw the Lane Kiffin being almost head coach. Like I, I didn't, 
I didn't know that there was this fervent um, pining for Lane and in Oxford. Lane represents a couple of things, and this is this is something I want to write about in the in the immediate offseason. I've already talked to our, um, our our squad at Banner Society about how many. Yes, it's my alma mater. Yes, I, I spent all those years reporting on the NCAA stuff, and and I know Ole Miss better than anywhere else. But this was just setting off fireworks in my brain because it it appeals to the identity of Ole Miss in a way that I don't know I've ever seen a coaching hire appeal to a fan base. You know, I made the joke like when Lane Kiffin got off the plane and had to hold the baby, which by the way I found out I used to bartend with that guy, like his baby, like the, the guy who handed the no baby over. No like, way. Yes, sir. It's he a social media video, and it's a guy who hands his Lane Mills. his baby to to kiss yeah, the baby. His name, and his name is Mills. I have not seen him in probably ten or twelve years. And he literally he th- tells Lane, he's like, "You got to get a burner." <laughs> in the same breath as Lane yeah. is handing him the child back. He used to work as a bar back at a place I used to work on in the square. So um, this appeals to every this appeals to every insecurity, every overestimated piece of their identity. This appeals to I mean, I'm working out the writing in my head right now. The the appeal is so strong and ridiculous, Richard, that if you have a question about it, that tells me that I need to write more about this because they see Lane Kiffin as everything, Richard, uh, an SEC coach. They saw he's already won in the SEC, right? He won well, in the Pac-12. Uh-huh. And they're hey, here's the thing though. They're not looking yeah, at how it ended, yeah, right? Because yeah. he left Tennessee to go to the Pac-12. Do you know what they're looking at? You know what they were talking about with Tennessee? That he came a fingertip away from beating Bama? Well, a little bit of that, but you got to remember Ole Miss has this one bizarre ace card that no one else in college football has, which is that we beat Nick Saban back-to-back years. Like they just don't it, it, it's the strangest thing in the world where I'm not saying it's certainly not an expectation to beat Nick Saban's Alabama, but they 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 look at that completely different than everyone else, LSU included, uh even this year. So uh, two very never, qu- two very quick things yeah. from me. Um how mad is Saban going to be if Ole Miss pulls off the upset next year, the year after, with like John Reese Plumley running for like 800 yards. Well, dude, there's so many things that we could get into about this. Like, is he going to bring Kendall Bryles? You know, w- which Florida recruiters is he going to bring? The thing I was saying about Tennessee was that year at Tennessee, he had a murderer's row of recruiters, Richard. Uh-huh. He had a ridiculous amount of like hardcore exactly. recruiting guys in the SEC. And this is what Ole Miss, this is an embrace of an identity. Do you get it? This is just a pure embrace of yeah. identity. This is this yeah. is a and I'm kind of rambling here. This is we're going to be villains. You know what, guys? We're going to be villains flat out. <laughs> and if we're going to be villains, because that was the thing was they got they got shit on for the dog peeing thing, right? They got shit on for the state of their affairs, and then they got shit on for hiring him. And what that does is it galvanizes all the parties involved. And I'm not saying it's right. And by the way, Richard, I'm not saying this is going to be successful at all, but I am saying this is one of the most perfect marriages I've ever seen in college football. And I don't mean that in the Justin Fuente way at VTech where I was like, they'll win. I just mean like, this is, <laughs> y'all y'all deserve each other. All right. Um, I think this to- is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, Godfrey, yeah. can you tell me what is coming in uh, October of 2020? Um, I, that would be an allusion to a scheduled football game. I, oh, it's Dan Mullen in Florida, isn't it? Yeah, buddy. PAPN Bowl oh, 2020. Florida Yikes. Ole Miss in the Grove. You already know. I believe it is next October. Um, holler at your boy. I'll be in the Grove.
Let's get it. So that's the first time Mullen will have been in Oxford since the year before he left because his last Egg Bowl was in Starkville. Yeah, he's been to Starkville, loss. but he hasn't been to Oxford. Yeah, and he punked Freeze in that game as as the NCAA thing was kind of kind of like everything was capsizing. So, oh boy. Okay. Uh, Lane Kiffin signs, by the way, it's a four-year deal at $16 million. Four years, by the way, in case you're curious, because we're going to talk about all these deals. State of Mississippi law prohibits a contract longer than four years. So it's a four-year, $16 million. So it starts at three point nine in 2020, and it rolls up a little bit. Um, just as contrast real fast, let's talk about this. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, five years at $3 million a year. All right. The bigger note here is not the dollar figure, Richard. It is that. He, or rather Arkansas, they did the Rutgers thing. They did the thing we were talking about, Richard. Yes. They also did the, they did the thing that uh, that Kentucky did for Mark Stoops. It's worked out so well. And I think Mark's is seven games. It's not six. But every year that Sam Pittman wins six, the contract automatically extends. There are that also different extensions. There are also different bonuses for six wins, seven wins, or eight or more. And whichever, right. whichever number he hits, he gets the bonus for that, that win number. The, the big dollar figure. The big dollar figure is Eli Drinkwitz. This was just confirmed. I think the university is going to announce it as we record this, but I just want to shout out. It was Dave Matter at the Post-Dispatch who broke this. It's a six-year deal at $4 million a year guaranteed, and that's a huge jump from, a again, Barry Odom. Missouri wasn't really interested in firing him. He kind of brought about his own demise. Uh, Odom was at $3 million a year in salary. Now, this is not a record, actually, because Pinkle's last year at Missouri, he was at $4 million a year. So this you is... Know, there's, a, there's a tenure situation yeah. there that, that makes things different. I think starting this, starting, Eli at, starting Eli at four is impressive. Right. I think this is... This is uh, our favorite word, one of our favorite words, a referendum. Um, both Arkansas and Missouri tell me this. Both Arkansas and Missouri tell me that these athletic directors were in different situations um, with how much power or sway or influence they could really have over this search. Um, from what I understand at Arkansas, and Godfrey, you can correct me with your own reporting, this one's Hunter Yurichek's baby, for better or for worse. This is all on Hunter, on Hunter Yurichek. This is going to be so. I was told by someone uh, in the know this is the search euphoria after it's done, and I thought to myself, well, "Don't damn. give out the ideas on the podcast." Damn, I'm um, not worried about that. Here's why: there's nothing to foia. This is this is thing. This thing's going to be pieced together by hearsay and comments. Now, I will say this: I've, I'm a a little shocked right now, and maybe I maybe maybe I don't understand that fan base as much as I think I do. I thought Arkansas would revolt. And I'm seeing uh, not a groundswell. I'll use my words carefully, but I am seeing a lot of respect for this hire in Sam Pittman. Well, I think I think they were last good between Bobby and now they were last good with Pittman um, as the offensive line coach there. Uh, Pittman, like Frank Ragnow, their center who's now in the NFL, like they had good players on that uh, on that position group. Um, Pittman is a guy that I think. They can get their arms around that they that embodies um, them that fan base. You know, he he broke down crying at the press conference. That was really cool and and something to show that yes, these jobs matter to these guys. Um, I, I I'm not saying this guy is an Arkansas man through and through, but when you have done what he has done, which is be an assistant everywhere, and you get the call up from the big job, no matter how it happens, he was not Arkansas's first choice. But when when you get that call, it is a validation of what you've done throughout your career. I believe he is in his late 50s. Um yeah. if if it wasn't coming now, when was it going to come? And and this, he got he, a, he wasn't the first choice Richard. He wasn't the he he was not the eighth choice. 
He, but he has the job, and it means a lot. But it, and I want to go back to that point about the ads because at Missouri you've got a little bit of a, a different story where it kind of seems like Mizzou went ass first into Eli Drinkwitz, and I think Eli Drinkwitz is a good football coach. But if Eli Drinkwitz loses to Louisiana, does he have this job right now? Like there was, <sighs> there were, there were, uh, there was talks of a board rebellion with the candidates that Jim Sterk came back with in the initial round of vetting, which I think makes sense given Jim Sterk is a guy who came from San Diego State, and what I was hearing was he was vetting and kicking the tires on guys out west, the Brian Harsons, guys out west, that would not necessarily be terribly sexy for Missouri. Richard, um, if you were hiring tomorrow to fill a job in the Power Five, would you pick Eli Drinkwitz over Brian Harson? No. Would you pick Eli Drinkwitz over Skip Holtz? Mm, ooh. Okay. Ooh. Would you would you pick Eli Drinkwitz over Jeff Munkin? No. But I don't. Okay. I think I can sell Eli Drinkwitz faster than I could sell Jeff Munkin to that fan base, or a honestly, or a SEC fan base. I mean, Jeff. Those- if I'm hiring J- Jeff Munkin, I think I think something of Jeff Munkin that I don't know if John Q. Fan does. And Jeff Munkin comes from Army. That has a connotation. He runs the triple. I, you know where I'm going with that. By the way, you, uh, all right, would you hire Eli Drinkwitz over Willie Fritz? No. Okay, so what are we doing here? I'm just curious. Uh, you tell me. Dude's been at dude's been at App one year. Here's the context for the for the, and this is nothing against Drinkwitz. Um, I think I Drinkwitz is a good football coach. I want to be. Oh, by the way, by the way, when that. I said would you hire Eli Drinkwitz over Brian Harson, the first time I met and interviewed Eli Drinkwitz was when he was calling plays for Brian Harson at Boise. <laughs> okay, before he went to NC State. Um, and, and oh, just real fast, I do think that they would have hired him regardless of the of the conference championship game because he beat South Carolina and North Carolina, and I think that's what they were looking at. Um, this is a for a, I'm interested here in in what it is these fan base or these particular people in the administration that rejected that list seeing Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, I sort of think I I think it's going to work out. Like I said, I think Drinkwitz is a good football coach. I think this can work out. Um, but it is interesting how sometimes you kind of back into something. If I guess right, if if Harson's in this job, how different is it? Um, so to put a bow on this, to go back to the beginning, Mike Norville, Florida State, um, I felt like that was always going to happen. Um, Mike Norvell leaves Memphis. The details, uh, you know, Bud will Bud will break down all the specifics on that. Uh, he has a six-year deal as well. Uh, it, he's retaining. The only thing we know for sure right now is what that he's retaining Odell Haggins. And there's he doesn't ton, have a choice. Yeah, he doesn't have a choice. He is. Um, um, it, Norvell is go, went and got, um, oh, goodness, what is, is it Dillingham? For offensive coordinator, um, who was at Auburn, we'll get to Auburn later in the show. Kenny Dillingham, uh, yeah, yes, um, and he. So now Mike Norvell is in the is in the spot where he can now poach his former assistants back. <laughs> like Mike Norvell, for the last like four or five years, was just getting assistants poached left and right uh, from his staff. Well, now he can go get those guys back. Um, that's one I saw talk talk. Not sure if it's actually happened of him um, grabbing the current DC at Memphis, who he just got done coaching with um and bringing him to Tallahassee too. I do not know if that's going to happen. That's just something I heard. Um it's it's a situation where Mike Norvell can now poach assistance back and we will get to Memphis and what Memphis does um without Mike Norvell a little bit later in the show. 
Um, real quick, we've got uh, one more, and I'm just throwing this in here because this is a school with FBS aspirations and, and kind of came to the cusp of the Sun Belt last time. That's Eastern Kentucky hiring Walt Wells, who is a former assistant kind of all over the region, Western Kentucky, South Florida, and Tennessee. Um, he probably most notably was on the staff. Um, I cannot remember the first coach, but then with Willie Taggart at Western and and kind of watched and, and assisted on the transition. This just shows me that Eastern Kentucky is looking to get a transition going into the FBS, I'd say, within the next two to three years. Is there and room prob- for them? What are they going to do? Independent? Um, That's kind of a TBD. I couldn't say yes, they could go to X, but I do right. think that there, I think if there is a shift coming, there will always there will always be a gap and, and how many schools were willing to, I mean, I really think this, we're getting into a much bigger conversation topic here. Technically there is room because I do believe a second division is emerging in the FBS. I think it's obvious, which is the group of five, right? So it's not really a question of how many, how many FBS programs can we quote unquote support? Is it how many, how many G five tier level schools can function and how many schools can meet those budget requirements, those salary requirements? Can they, can they draw revenue? I think what's more interesting is like, is conference USA going to be solvent in five years? Okay. Cause the Sunbelt fills a very specific niche and does it, I think in a lot better way than conference USA does. What are the finances of the Mac look like? And is it more advantageous to be a low tier G5 team or to be a prestigious FCS team? These are all questions. However, EKU has flirted many, many times with this. So I just threw that in there. Um, that is what we call hashtag off season content, Richard. You love Way it. Way off season. Love Last one. That. Last one. Jimmy Lake. Uh, it, yeah, not a bit of a shocker. It was a shocker. Chris Peterson stepping down. Um, Spencer wrote a nice piece on this, and it's a matter of, I would say, non-football reasons. Let's not play the USC game right now because I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Chris Peterson's out. Jimmy Lake is in. He was a defensive coordinator, if you didn't know. $16 million deal over five, and the base starts at three. Just to give you some perspective, Washington is a college football playoff participant. They are paying Jimmy Lake $3 million next season. I do think it would bump up if he started winning nine, ten games a season. But Former minority coordinator of the week alum yep and now just again to compare five million dollars or four million dollars a year for Drinkwitz. okay three million dollars a year for jimmy lake missouri washington so there's the little tiny example of the gap that exists um all right what i want to talk about with jimmy lake is one um if not for jimmy lake minority coaching would have taken a total loss in the last what two cycles and um, can you name all the losses off the top of your head? Willie Taggart. It's Willie, Willie, Charlie, and Frank Wilson out. Yeah, those three. So it's Charlie Strong at USF, Frank Wilson at UTSA, and then Willie also, Taggart at Florida State. Also Tony Sanchez, um, but uh, also Tony Sanchez at UNLV. Um, this is interesting because I think he's a great hire. I'm interested right now to see what he does with his staff and what he does with um, – his offense because i think there'll be some changes there yeah uh our homie bruce feldman uh pointed this out he wrote it and i believe the athletic uh five of college football's black coach coaches now reside in the pac-12 that's roughly 50 percent. how many black coaches are there right now as we record this richard in fbs there are off top of my head 11 I believe okay. the number is 11 so interesting times um I don't know what that says about the Pac-12 yet, if it says anything at all, or if it's just a function of maybe better searches or, um, you know, I don't know. I don't even know how to finish that sentence. Well, I mean, Jimmy Lake was there and on staff. 
Jimmy Lake was there and on staff. Yeah, I, and as you as you know, that doesn't mean shit in other in other parts of of the country and other conferences. Uh, you know, I I don't want to do the I don't want to do the oh it's it's woke out there and they will take a black coach at, in the Pac-12 where they otherwise wouldn't in the SEC or the Big Ten country. I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that either because I think they get too much credit for a wokeness that they may not hold universally. Mm-hmm. Also, also, you ever been to Oregon? Yeah, damn it, you beat me to it, <laughs> dude. Eighty percent of Washington, I might add. That's a state that gets that gets false. Well, you ever been to Spokane? It's got a lot in common with Arkansas. Um, I don't think it's that at all. I just think that there has to be. I want to identify the trend and why. Now, again, we just talked about David Shaw, and if David Shaw steps down, I don't know if there's a high probability a minority would replace him. Don't know, don't know. And the, could you the, see Derek Mason? Could you see Derek Mason just straight out going there? Yes. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, if it's, 100%. if it's a late, but here's the deal. So Derek Mason skirts getting fired, right? Right. Remember all the beating the chest right, and right, the right, man for right. this job. I'm built for this, stuff. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Obviously, if you didn't know, he came from there. He was defensive coordinator for, he was hired at Vanderbilt. Um, that may be the only situation in which I see a minority taking that job. So they could be down again. Um, if, if Shaw goes to the NFL, which by the way, how many minority coaches are there in the NFL right now? Head coaches. Oh my goodness. Uh, Mike Tomlin. Isn't it like five? It's like four or five. Mike okay. Tomlin, Anthony Lynn. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to butcher this off the top of my head, but it's like four or five. Right. Okay. All right. So let's transition out of that and let's go to the actual TBD openings. And as we record this, what may or may not happen. So it is God's time zone, 941 on Tuesday, uh, as we record this early in the morning, early for us. And we give you the timestamp just to let you know exactly where we are as these things are functioning and breaking. Um, so Fresno, another re- uh, resignation, probably health-related, would be Jeff Tedford. I think likely health-related. Uh, the top name there is Indiana's offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who was OC under Tedford at Fresno when they got that thing going again. He also led successful offenses at Southern Illinois and EMU, and I, Eastern Michigan, sorry. And I believe he was a head coach in the NAIA. I it's it's to the point where I we're going to use therapy words. I believe Kalen DeBoer is going to get this job. If he doesn't, okay. it's, it's because of two things. A, it's because he got a fat raise at Indiana, or it's because there was something in contractually at Fresno. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about how much leeway does he have to pick his staff potentially. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not necessarily a this year thing. What 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 I think staff picking that opportunity or, or, or that um, authority, I think that tells you about the situation you're stepping into as far as latitude in years two and years three. That's kind of what I think it means when a coach comes in and is or isn't allowed to like pick his staff. Like, well, Muschamp at Florida saddled with Charlie Weiss in the beginning. How much did that tank the tenure before it really even got started? Oh, can you name all the offensive coordinators at Florida under Will Muschamp? Oh, oh my I God! Uh, Charlie Weiss. Um, who the second I, one? The second one was the slam dunk that completely backfired. How am I not? Oh my Brent God! Peace. Brent, Brent Peace. Peace. Brent Peace. Brent Peace. And then, State. and then the third one, who I cannot remember. Oh is, come on! Oh, he's at Duke now, right? You're close. Yes, you're so close. Comes off the cut close tree. Oh my God! I can't remember. I can't remember. Kurt Roper. Kurt Roper. Oh my Kurt God! Kurt Roper. That was supposed so, to be it. Just I never. I mean, uh, just to pause and enjoy that for a second. Um, ill fated from the jump. I don't know how much. I don't know how much the failures of peace and 
and and Kurt Roper have to do with Charlie Weiss, but it couldn't help. Um, all right, Memphis is a mess as we as we alluded to. Um, kind of uh, weird that coaching in this Cotton Bowl would be the focal point of the Florida State press conference. But Scott Frost messed this up for everybody because Scott dude. Frost coached UCF in whatever bowl game that was, and everybody kissed, and and we had a great amicable separation. It was the peach when they beat Auburn. And everybody gets two Christmases, and I get the kids on the weekend. And now, other coaches think that they can do this and that it's going to work out. Um, I Mike Norvell, I think, intimated that he would be interested in coaching Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. I'm, I bet you would, Mike. I think that Mike may come to understand in the coming days that that is not a tenable situation. And so I think Memphis is in a situation where I don't know if Memphis – knows who's coaching who's interim who's going with mike who's staying for the bowl game um you know uh jeff scott had now jeff scott if if you're in the playoff you coach the playoff that's kind of how that works and then you go to your new school that's sort of the cut and dry thing that has happened in recent years but this new thing where g5 coaches are are, you know get to step up and then say they want to coach the bowl game i don't know how tenable that is um, for either party moving forward, particularly with our early signing period. Mm, so early. Um, Ryan Silverman is the um, associate or assistant head coach and off- offensive line, has a lot of NFL experience. He's the name I would put at the top right now, but only because I believe that they have not really gone out in earnest and, and started the process. Barry Odom is a name that you hear a lot about there as well. Obviously, Barry Odom worked at Memphis. Um, I think he's going to lobby for it. Willie Taggart is a is a name that has popped up recently. So I, I don't know if that thing's congealed all the way yet to where they've, they're vetting and interviewing and that kind of stuff. Do so. it and be legends. Hugh Freeze is right there. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> App State. Um, so really really went right through that one, didn't you? Man, just got me in the gut. Um, App State situation is this: they don't want to become Arkansas State. If you if you recall, Richard, can you name all of the one and done Arkansas State coaches that went on to bigger and better jobs? No, (laughs) there's a lot. There's a long list, though, isn't it? Yeah, and this is why they they don't want to have to deal with that. So if you recall, Hugh Freeze, the aforementioned Freeze, left Arkansas State after one season to go to Ole Miss. Gus Malzahn left Auburn after one season to go, or left Arkansas State after one season to go to Auburn. Um, Brian Harson left Arkansas State after one year to go to Boise. This is what they're trying to avoid. The reason why was at the time ASU was recruiting at the very peak of that conference. They were on the cutting edge. They were running an offense that you could plug and play those coaches into. And the coaches knew well enough to just win no matter whose plays they were because it was creating a situation where they were all springboarding up to better jobs. I'm pretty sure there was another one in there. I know Blake Anderson's sort of been there forever now. That's a don't don't fuck up the bag situation. No shit. And the other, just to go back to this Missouri Arkansas nonsense for a second, and all these all of these coaches they were supposedly above. Okay, Blake Anderson. I just got done reading you. It it, it was a triumvirate of, of Freeze, Malzahn, Harson. Where 2011 to 2013, it was one and done three times. Okay, Blake Anderson has done exactly what those coaches did. All right, and he sustained it. Obviously, he's gone through personal hell, but I'm mean, just talking about in football sense. The idea that he would not be good enough for like a, a Missouri when I just just rattling off like Hugh Freeze goes on to do his thing with Ole Miss and the NCAA. Auburn, Gus Malzahn goes on to win the SEC. Like 
this idea that Blake Anderson's somehow lesser than these open jobs, I don't know the man. I'm just I'm not really trying to stump for him. It just blows my mind what's considered hot or promising or appealing in any given moment. It, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, all this is to say that I think Sean Clark is the likely favorite to take the head job. He's the interim. He's an assistant. I believe he's offensive line. That's um, He's an alumnus of App, okay? A bladed App, and he's been there for both Eli and he coached under Sat. And so I think that they want to establish a more long-term consistent presence there. So that's why I, I think, uh, I, I feel Sean Clark will end up getting that job. Mm. Let's go to FAU. This job is desirable, man. I had it's an agent tell me yesterday. I had an agent tell me yesterday they'd rather have their client at FAU than USF. Damn. I, I think FAU. Um, I think FAU wants a guy who can raise some money. Yeah, because definitely. Lane Lane can do a lot of stuff, but Lane is not exactly going to be constantly interfacing with your boosters. Not exactly I think his that- bag. If you want to go for consistency, there's a couple names that I jotted down that I've heard that show me three to five years or six years of consistency. So that would be the interim Glenn Spencer. That would be Kentucky's offensive coordinator, Eddie Grant, who is a noted longtime South Florida recruiter for places like Auburn and Florida State and Cincinnati and Kentucky. Um, Willie Taggart, again, his name shows up here. Um, tell everybody who T-Rob is, because in, in college football circles, he's just T-Rob. <laughs> T-Rob, Ross Robinson, is a longtime Will Muschamp assistant. I believe he played under Will Muschamp, too. He did. Um, was he with did. Will at Florida, cornerbacks, uh, DB's coach, um, and is with Will at South Carolina. I am not quite certain, but he may actually be the defensive coordinator under Muschamp right now. Um, he is a guy who I wondered when T-Rob was going to kind of step out from under Muschamp and, and Dude, do his own thing. And I've heard, T- I've heard T-Rob stories every year, and I feel like T-Rob is smart and that T-Rob is playing a smart game, which is one, your ass gets, one, your ass gets half a shot as mm-hmm. a minority coach, right? See Taggart, Willie. Got to be twice right? as good. He knows that the job has to be perfect the first time because it's the only time. And in the meantime, he's a valued, respected SEC recruiter who's in a great situation playing for a guy that he loves. Say what you want. Uh, Muschamp, I think I've said this on the show before and it bears repeating, we all make fun of Muschamp because I'm making a hand motion like, I mean, you know, Muschamp. But he he has Bob Stoops' halo around him. And I... The guys who played for him, guys Dude, who coached with, they, with, they will stump for Will Muschamp as a, as a he, man and as a coach. Yeah. They ride with him. He runs a a very benevolent to your ass type culture in in his in his in his coaching rooms, and he's you know yeah. T. Rob is a very comfortable place, and, and by the way, has gone with him for like Florida, Auburn, now South Carolina. So I forgot about Auburn. Yeah, you got to you know you take your shot eventually, but you. you I, I totally understand. It, like this all ties together, Richard. One, the minority situation, which is going to make it exponentially harder to be successful. Two, once you're once you take a loss as a head coach and you get fired for any reason, it is really, really damn hard to come back. Okay, doubly so as a minority. And then once once whatever it is that you put out as a brand one time doesn't work, it's just impossible. So if this dude's waiting around and waiting around and waiting around, that's just smart business, flat out. Um, Colorado State, speaking of coaches who uh, are trying to get rid of some marks on their record. So it, right now I can tell you this. It's down to Kevin Wilson and Butch Jones. Um, the f- I, I think probably the more interesting story here, if you're not a Colorado State fan, is that Urban Meyer was just all up in this shit. 
just and all up in it. Both of us independently have heard and yeah. I believe can confirm that Urban Meyer was, I mean, helping the, in the search room. in the he room. He was in the room for the interviews. Um, and one might say helping conduct them. One might say consulting with Colorado State. One might say. Um, so they met with five, um, and those five were uh, Jones, Wilson. I had to do this from memory because I didn't put it in my notes. Dave Aranda at LSU, the defensive coordinator. Tony Alford, the Tony Alford's coach is the running backs As- coach. Yeah, at, assistant head coach at Ohio yeah. State, running backs coach uh, at Ohio State, and then the fifth one that I'm going. To, oh, Steve Adazio. Steve Adazio, yeah, f- formerly of Boston College. So the word I got obviously there is that Adazio is the hardest. That actually, let me back up. The word I got was a Colorado State very, very much wants an immediate candidate, a candidate with head coaching experience immediately. They don't want an on the job guy. Um, the second thing there is that Adazio is just really freaking hard to sell because of the individual year win totals at Boston College, which is, I get that, you know, regardless of whether you, I think I like the guy, I like the man, Steve Adazio. Steve is a, Steve is a, a there, Steve gets some of the must champ kind of, well, look at this guy, da, 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 you know, you may think he's dumb or whatever. Steve's a football coach's football coach. And yeah. Steve is very well connected and and liked in the industry and and all those sort of that's how Steve's name is going to come up in this. Now, obviously, Steve's name also yep. comes up in this, given the Urban Meyer connection. Um, so that's an I know as far as it being down to Wilson and Jones right now. And if I had to lean, I'd probably still lean Jones, but it's tighter than people realize. Um, UNLV. Um, so this is an I believe you. This is I believe for me, and it's an I believe for you, right? It is an UNLV. I believe for you. That's an I believe okay. for you. I am not quite sure. All right. Marcus Arroyo um, uh, from Oregon would be the uh, the head candidate here, the top, the preferred candidate as we close on this. What I do I know, know that, is I know that he's inquired very loudly in circles about putting a staff together. What I do know is that they are winding this thing down. Um, the vetting yes. phase, the vetting phase is done. They are into let's get the guy and, and figure it out. Um, Dave Aranda interviewed here as well. Um, Dave Aranda has been shopping around. Um, again, UNLV is one kind of conversation topic I think we could have maybe later on. Let's just say very briefly, UNLV is trying to reinvent itself, and I don't know if college football is ready to accept the reinvention yet. Is that fair to say? Um, I think UNLV, and this is this is projecting way down the road, 10 years down the road, but UNLV could could be what Miami was to college football in the 80s. Holy shit. Listen, listen to what I am saying. I'm not saying they're going to win four national championships. What I am talking about is the amount of culture influx and cultural influence on the sport that Miami had. Yeah. Part of that had to do with Miami winning. But the other part of it had to do with the um, background of the athletes that Miami won with. Okay. All right. I'm going to tiptoe right past that. Uh, Mm. Dave Aranda. Two and a half million dollars a year as a defensive coordinator at LSU. It allows you to go out, take an interview here or there. There was some, there was a heavy amount of interest in him from Utah State last year before the boosters kind of jammed Gary Anderson back on. Um, I think Dave Aranda will stay at LSU. I think he will be coaching as defensive coordinator at LSU next year. I still feel like this is what happens, man. This is the new Clemson model, right? You're making two and a half million dollars a year. The pay at Colorado State is going to be around one two five to one five, I think, for year one. So you're going to take a million dollar pay cut. It makes you choosy. It may, you it makes you are you, only leaving for a head coaching job that you really want. That's really how these want. contracts are structured. That's how yeah. Joe Brady's contract is going to be structured in. Give it a month. If I had uh, to the, guess, 
the last two FBS jobs we'll talk about that um, we probably won't even throw candidates out for, but just because it is very wide open, two very different jobs in similar situations, BC and New Mexico. These uh, these jobs don't have ideal fits on candidates available in the market. These these jobs have to. <sighs> There's some work involved here, man. I think you can win at Boston College. That's my opinion. Given the, I don't think it's impossible to win at New Mexico. I think they just had a lot of atrophy. They've had a huge amount of acrimony inside the program and inside the athletic department with the decision not only to hire Bob Davey but to retain Bob Davey and to defend Bob Davey. So how much of that stink is all over New Mexico moving forward? I think, you know, recruits have short memories and there's not enough talent in the state to field one FBS team, let alone the two that are there. Um, the right California, maybe FBS or Power 5 assistant could make this thing work if they want to go that route. So I don't know. Um, Richard, take me home. I got to catch my breath. Oh, Boston. Tell, uh, tell me about Howard. Oh, we need to go back to Boston College real quick. Tell me. Oh, we yeah. Have a, we have a note on Boston College. Shout out to the Hasselback. Uh, Matt Hasselback, as both of us independently understand it, is assisting in this search. Hasselback uh, played at Boston College. I think the family is is real tight in there. Um, consulting, helping, screening, whatever you want to call it. This happens. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Richard, take me home on Howard. Um, so I wanted to tie a bow on the Howard story that we had brought up uh, a few months ago on the show. Um, Ron Prince, a player revolt. Players were transferring, um, alleging verbal abuse. Coaches were not very, or uh, parents, I should say, were not pleased with how things were going on. They wrote an open letter um, about how things were going on. It was a mess. Ron Prince ended up resigning. I believe it was late last week. Um, as I understand it, Brennan Marion, former minority coordinator of the week on this show, is going to get a look there. He is in the mix. Um, the... I think more interesting potential landing spot for Marion, who is currently William and Mary's offensive coordinator, is maybe Auburn. Uh, he played under Malzahn at Tulsa and was also at Malzahn. Malzahn had like a coach. Every coach you know basically has a coaching clinic, uh, like a seminar for coaches roughly during the spring. Um, Marion spoke at Gus's this last spring. I believe it was in March. Um, so I think he's on. I think he may be on the board there. But the other thing for Auburn, uh, as far as the OC job goes, is Chad Morris. I mean, it, the Chad Morris, him and Gus are like damn near the same person. From Arkansas, high school coaches, hotshot high school coaches, don't cuss. Um, you know, don't drink. Ab- above above board guys. Um, yeah. So that's how we just tied Howard to Auburn. Hey, friends, real quick, want to pop in because Auburn has actually filled that vacant offensive coordinator job. Gus Malzahn has tapped Chad Morris, former Arkansas head coach Chad Morris, to be his new offensive coordinator. Auburn moved really quickly on this, given that it's uh, roughly 4 o'clock on Tuesday. Um, They were probably not caught too off guard that Kenny Dillingham left. Um, That's probably what that means to at least me. So, yeah, Auburn filled the job, and it's Chad Morris. Shout out at the end. By the way, we didn't mention this. Former Colorado State uh, head coach Mike Bobo calling them plays for Will Muschamp. See, we talked about Brent Peace. We didn't talk about Mike Bobo. So guess what? Run the damn ball, Bobo. It's back. 2020. Richard, we got to get the hell out of here because we got stuff to do. Good luck in New York this week. And a quick programming note. We will be back next week after Richard and I attend Army-Navy. There will not be a hurry-up. The hurry-up is done for the season. We will be twice weekly through December. Um, So we've got this week. 
We're wrapping it up and then we will be back next week with two shows. Love y'all. Promise. We'll be back.